Hello all and welcome back to another week of Movie Magpies. This week we'll be talking about the 2019 film by A24, The Farewell. As always, I'm your host, Will, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Monique. So, without any further ado, let's just get straight into it. I love how we both have a different way of saying the intro. I just think it's so funky. (laughs) Yeah, well, whatever works, right? I actually had a question for you before we get a little too deep into the film itself. Okay, I was going to just quickly ask for people who haven't watched it but wanted to listen to our in-depth review, what is The Farewell, to people who don't know? It's probably a good place to start, and then I'll ask my question. The Netflix summary of The Farewell is a Chinese-American woman learns that her grandmother is dying but is forced to keep it a secret during an impromptu wedding organised in China. Yes. Okay, so what was your question? Okay, so my question was, this is the first time that in an introduction you've mentioned that the film is an A24 film. I wanted to know why that was so important to you. So I think that it's important to mention it was distributed by A24. So one thing that I find incredibly interesting about A24, and I'm glad that you asked this question, is A24 is a distribution company that has, well, it began existing quite recently. They started in 2012. Oh, dang. And the interesting thing I find about them is that they're this independent entertainment company that produces films on seemingly micro-budgets that do incredibly well. So they're incredibly safe films to produce because they bring home big returns. And with The Farewell, I think this is so evident in the last point of the review, was that their budget was three million, and for for films of this scale and of this level of marketing, three million is not a whole lot. But it brought home a box office of twenty three point one million, and in terms of investment, that is a huge bank and return on your investment. But A twenty four have been doing this since the start of their production. Some of the other films have followed this format and have done incredibly well examples are so hereditary they produced hereditary midsummer as Wait, well really yeah genuinely they released moonlight and ladybird so some of the more popular films of the past three to five years have been by a24 and i find that really interesting because a lot of their films focus more primarily on providing freedom to their directors and their writers, and as a result it pays off in spades. Many of their investments have been incredibly profitable, and I find that super interesting. So much okay. so that I, if I was ever given an opportunity to work for A24, I'd jump at the opportunity because they're a company that is that seems willing to provide you with the freedom to do what you want within reason and with the with the context of hereditary and midsummer that reason is quite wide as well but with that you're allowed to make whatever you want with the restraint of the budget that they provide you but it's almost this symbiotic relationship and i find that incredibly interesting and incredibly promising in terms of film and the future of film going forward but yeah that's that's for the most part that's my answer to your question why a24 and why am i talking about a24 pretty much that no understandable i completely get it so (laughs) yes but as we're here we're talking about the farewell 
Mm-hmm. Gonna spoil it straight away? No, I'm not going to spoil it straight away. But <laughs> I did want to say that we, we are sp- going yeah. to be talking about terminal illness, so if that's something that could be yeah. potentially upsetting to you, please do be wary, because this film very much heavily features terminal illness. Yes, and with that said as well, we, with my joke, we will be spoiling the farewell. In this discussion, we won't shy away from it. We may spoil it at any point, and as just a little warning, because I have done this prior we may spoil other films as well so be prepared to be spoiled honestly it's my favorite thing when just (laughs) in the middle of a discussion we bring up a different film yeah and there's a split second where you're like well that was spoiled don't say i didn't warn you i can't (laughs) remember which in-depth review it was but i spoiled 500 days of summer true i don't remember when that was either no but just as insight i spoil i can spoil pretty much anything but we should talk about the farewell. I want to start with us talking about the characters because ultimately this film is solely focused on the dynamics within a family, one that has been slightly divided by travel and sections of the family moving away. Mm. But I want to talk about the characters. So we got our main character, Billy. We'll talk about her a lot in depth moving forward. We've got Nai Nai who is arguably... Billy's grandmother. Yeah, so she's Billy's grandmother, but I also think she's arguably such a stereotypical grandmother figure. And she, we love The actress who plays her does such an incredible job of making her out to be such a clearly, like, caring, loving grandmother figure. Yeah, she's one of those characters who is just quintessentially embodied by the actor, and you can't yeah. help but feel warm, fuzzy feelings for her. Yeah, we've got Billy's parents, so played by Sima, the father, Hyun, and if I could find... And Lu Juan, played by Diana Lin, so that's, that's Billy's parents. Mm-hmm. Other important characters include Billy's uncle, Haibin, played by Yongbo Jang, and... Also, a notable mention is the younger Nai Nai, Lu, played by Lu Hong, which is the director Lulu Wang's grandmother's younger, younger sister. sister. Yeah. Yeah, so in the film, she gets called Little Nai Nai yes. because she's the younger sister of their grandmother. Mm. Because, like we said multiple times in the review, this film is based on a true lie in real life. I find it really, really nice that they brought the actual grandmother's sister into play this herself. I think it's so dang cute. And remarkably, she does she does a really good job. She's not given too much to work with, ultimately, but she does an incredible job with what she is given, for sure. Yeah, you almost wouldn't know that she isn't an actor herself. I yeah. suppose this is a story that she has lived before, which is probably helpful, but yeah. she genuinely fits into the cast so well. Yeah. Absolutely. But with the... I want to kind of go in depth with these characters just because they are so wonderfully diverse in personality and it provides such a beautiful depth to each and every scene. And you're given this understanding of each of these characters where you don't blame them for their actions or how they react to things. You know, straight from the get-go where it's shown that Billy lies to Nai Nai 
about things going on in New York, while Nai-Nai lies to her about where she is. The fact that she's in the hospital as they're speaking to each other, she lies about that. And it also sets a really good precedent to the fact that this film is about a single lie, but then also addresses the fact that in our lives we lie to each other either because it's easier than the truth or because it's to protect someone from pain. Yeah, I really like that a lot of the little... I wouldn't really call them little white lies, but I guess in the context of what the actual one lie of this film is, I would call them little white lies. The fact that they're lying about E.G., that she's at the hospital, or what's going on in New York. What I really like about these little white lies that they tell is that it's so that they don't worry their family, which truly is a sentiment that I suppose we can all get behind. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think anybody's going to argue that what any of these characters do in this film is completely immoral and morally and ethically unjust, because you can understand why they do it. But as a way of kind of building this into a more discussion-based subject, I wanted to ask you, which of these characters in the film, and it can be any of them, which of these characters is your favourite, and why? Nai-Nai. I just love, of course she doesn't know that she has this illness, but she has such a strong presence in this film. Yeah, absolutely. And the personality behind her, I think one of my favourite scenes, and I think it's the scene that made me, because I was leaning towards Billy, as I said in our review, I have a bit of a soft spot for the actor that plays Billy, of course Aquafina is amazing. But I ended up with Nai-Nai as my favourite character because of the scene where she's doing, I think it's Tai Chi or just some shouting exercises. Yeah, she's just releasing negative energy. Yeah, I just love that she's doing that and she's so unapologetic in trying to get Billy to join along out of care for her granddaughter. She's just such a strong presence yeah and like i said she is that quintessential grandmother you can't help but love her especially with the way that she is portrayed the thing i noticed about that scene was that it almost lends credence to what we've seen throughout the film that the the closeness of these two characters is is not just because nai nai is a grandmother who takes care of her grandkids she has a certain soft spot for billy for sure and mm-hmm. it's it's shown in this scene so beautifully because Nai Nai like understands Billy's goofiness in this scene where Billy doesn't take the expelling of negative negative energy seriously and is kind of joking around but Nai Nai is joking with her but still kind of getting her to do it because she believes that it's good for her yeah and i really love that that she's not offended i suppose of course she understands that billy has grown up in a western culture and she doesn't fault her for it if anything she's very fond like you said of billy she makes it very known that she has a soft spot for her and this scene just encapsulates their relationship where Billy may think something silly, but she'll do it because she likes to humor her grandmother, and her grandmother doesn't mind because she's still 
getting to spend time with and getting to perform this activity with Billy. Yeah, there is there is definitely the sense of back and forth between these two characters where neither one is stopping the other from doing whatever they want, but there is definitely this mutual concern for each other because Nai Nai cares so strongly for Billy and wants her to just be okay and Billy is tackling or confronting this issue of whether or not to tell her that she's dying because the family is against her on this and she feels that it's absolutely wrong to keep it hidden but it's really interestingly interesting and compelling with with Nai Nai because she lies about herself too so that her family don't worry she has the cough and she knows that something's definitely not right for sure but she she just marks it down as as just being a cold that she didn't get over and yeah or that I she think, didn't have the right medicine from yeah, the doctor and i think she knows that that's not the whole truth but she also is so willing to follow it to ensure that her family are feeling okay about it that she's willing to believe it herself and i don't mm. think it's that she actually be- or outright believes that she's just not gotten over a cold or the medicine's just not good enough. It's that she feels that if it makes everyone feel better, I'm gonna play the part of, no, I'm fine. Come on, guys. It's just a cold I didn't get over or the medicine's not good enough. And I really like that. This really is a film about family, yeah, but absolutely. it's also a film about how much you want your family to be happy and for them to not worry about you for them to enjoy the time that they're spending with you without you know searching for signs of sickness and things like that and i find it interesting because with this character depth that we get into each and every character but we're only going to talk about a few of them of course we'll mention the others but with nai nai she carries this presence of a caring grandmother all the way through the film but there is also this evident presence that she's also clearly the matriarch of this family or the head of this family for sure and you see how that's shown in that she's organizing the wedding she took it upon herself to start the to start organizing the wedding for her grandson and i think billy's mum actually is one of the characters that I enjoy she points this out quite matter of a factly and you can tell just from the way that she says it that she's very used to it Mm. she says because Billy brings up the fact that she's concerned that Nai Nai is overexerting herself planning this wedding and her mother goes oh please if she wasn't planning this wedding she'd be worse off she loves bossing everyone around yeah exactly and I just love that she is the matriarch of this family and it's very much unspoken but also everybody in the family just accepts it they're like yep yeah loves telling you what to yeah Mm -hmm. they're so used to it that they just accept it even people who were introduced into this family like billy's mother who married into the family she's eventually come to accept that she may not necessarily be fully on board with it or fully supportive of it but she understands that's the dynamic and she works with it and I think that it throughout the film you get two sides to Nai Nai, which are completely reasonable sides to each other. Not they're not polar opposites in that she is this caring grandmother, but also this unflinching and stubborn matriarch 
of the family who ensures the best is given. You know, it's shown so poignantly through this in the scene where they've provided crab and not lobster. Yeah, she and, actually reminds yeah. me, funnily enough, of my nonna, who yeah. wasn't really a matriarch as much, but she had that same vibe of whenever you went around to her house, she would immediately be like, here, eat this, eat this, you're too... Yeah. You look frail, you should eat something, and you're like, no, I literally just had lunch, and she's like, I don't care, you're doing it anyway. Yeah, Which, absolutely. It's such a grandmother thing to hmm. be so caring and doteful on your family and yeah. of course your children and your children's children but also being forcefully doting in this way where they'll be like no yeah. it's fine grandma and you're yeah, like, absolutely. grandma is just like nope yeah i said you're doing this it's this sense of unflinching support mm -hmm. that comes from a That's grandmother yeah such a good way of putting it yeah I wanted to lead on to my favourite character just in this point because we've talked about Nai Nai quite a bit. <laughs> but my favourite character, and I think it also kind of ties into another character quite well, is that Billy's uncle I find the most interesting on multiple rewatches because for me, he's the character who is the strongest advocate for we do not tell Nai Nai that she's dying. Yeah. We know that uh, Nai Nai's sister makes the decision not to tell her in the hospital when she gets the diagnosis, but Billy's uncle is the one who makes the choice to inform the family that we aren't telling. And he also, he's the strongest active participant in making sure that the truth doesn't get out. So yeah, so, and I really love how silently strong he is as a ca yeah, character as well. Absolutely. I was going to say just quickly, the initial point in that, right at the start of the film, we're given this insight through the family dynamic in America when Billy's parents tell her that Nai Nai is dying and then they also tell her that they're going to China but she isn't mm. and then against her parents wishes Billy shows up at at Nai Nai's house mm -hmm. going on her own initiative this is also one of the big reasons why Billy is such an interesting character because she's an active participant in her story she's not just passively going about things she goes out of her way to go to china and then find her family but when the opportunity arises and i'm going to actually use his name his character's name hai bin pulls billy away there's almost this point where it looks like billy's going to tell her in front of everyone and hai bin goes she's probably tired from her trip i'll walk her to the hotel and uses mm -hmm. this opportunity to explain to her why they're not telling Nai Nai. And he talks about how it's a cultural aspect and how it is it would be easier on her to not tell her, but he doesn't fully expand on on the full reason why. No, but I also really love that he doesn't just say, we're not telling her end of story. He, of course, not fully, but somewhat to a certain extent, tries to explain it a little bit. Yeah. Just give that background he tries, to Billy. Yeah. He tries to meet with Billy halfway in that he feels that he doesn't need to tell her everything and explain it as if he's explaining the reason to the audience. Yeah, or even he doesn't treat her like a child yeah, but exactly, he does which I find super give her much needed context. Yeah. Not so much context for the viewers but context for Billy and the character that Billy is where yes, I understand that you disagree with it, but these are the reasons yeah. that we're doing it. And yeah. 
we would prefer if while you're here you respect our wishes. Yeah, and this is what's going on. Then we get the second point where he has to explain it again, where it, it's a scene between Billy, Billy's dad, and Haibin. Is this with the neon lights in the yeah. background? Okay. Well, tungsten, but I think it's tungsten True. neon, so ultimately you're still right. But he explains specifically that in China it is believed that telling her would be putting the weight of grief onto her while still carrying it for themselves knowing that she'll die. Not telling her ensures that the grief and the weight of this situation is carried by those who love her. And you can tell from the way that he explains it this way now more impatient with Billy because Billy is growing more impatient with this belief that you can see that Haibin truly believes that and he it has this strong emotional impact with him with this consideration more so that he and his brother have already lost their father as well and it happened the same way in that it was lung cancer and they didn't tell him that he was dying either and then he passed away so for Haibin it's cemented in his mind that this is the right way to do it because he died happy. But then we are also given this insight of the sheer weight that he is carrying because it's not just this weight of knowing that his mother is dying, but it, there's also this weight that he moved to Japan with his family for a better yeah. life for his families more specifically, but also because he wanted his son to live a, a, a better life and it could be, and that could be done in Japan. But that is the weight that is strongest with Haibin, in that he didn't get to spend more time with his mother, and that his relationship with his mother in his later years, and it, certainly in her later years, were a sea apart. Mm -hmm. And I really like the slow understanding that you get of yeah. these characters. You don't understand them fully until the, I would say, two-thirds through the film. Yeah, absolutely. But it's it's, it's almost drip-fed. Yeah, I really exactly. Nice. Which is exactly as it would be if you were someone coming into this film with yeah. not much prior knowledge of the family. You would just learn through seeing their dynamic, how they were, and that was how you would come to understand the family. Yeah. But I am incredibly amazed by the strength of the uncle, and mm. I think the speech, it is a very, oh, very yeah. difficult scene to get through. It is devastating in some moments where think, he is yeah. giving a speech at his son's wedding, which of course has been it's, an excuse yeah, for everybody to come and say goodbye to Nai Nai before she dies. Yeah. And he says, I love my mother and there's no one that I would give more thanks to. I'm just sorry I couldn't spend more time with her. You know that I moved to Japan with my family. Yeah. And you really understand how much weight this has been on him mm. to keep this from his mother and how, yes, he, like, in that moment, I think it wasn't until that part of the film that it's truly cemented for me yeah. how much he needs to keep this from his mother to keep her yeah. happy and, and how he feels like this is... Though, you know, something that he can do for her, despite the fact that he hasn't been around because yeah. he lives in a different country. And I think it's it's good that we brought up this scene because I really wanted to talk about it specifically in that 
everything you said is 100% on for sure because we're given this full insight into his character that he has this weight of guilt that he's pretty much carrying alone of moving away and leaving his mother being the oldest of him and his brother so he has this sense of responsibility more so than his brother for sure that he needs to respect the the custom and the culture and not tell her but it still weighs so heavily and then also the scene where he's giving the speech and it's with him breaking down and crying and apologizing and being profusely apologetic you also get a cut to the crowd and everyone's quiet and it would be incredibly an incredibly awkward harrowing scene to sit in and watch but if you if you're paying attention Nainai has tears in her eyes it makes the scene go from harrowing to heart-wrenching and I think it's a master class in writing emotion yeah for sure but because of course that scene resonates with the person it needs to resonate with because everybody else is confused and a little bit silent as to what's happening doesn't mean that the message wasn't get gotten across to the person who it was meant for who needed to understand the message most which is why this film comes out so comforting in the end is that yes everybody is grieving the loss of their grandmother before she's really gone but you can tell that she sees how much she means to the family in those moments yeah absolutely but with this recognition of masterclasses in writing i wanted to draw us to our next sort of point that being the one that I promised to talk more in depth about, and that's the cinematography. I don't think this film does anything groundbreaking with the color palette. I think it's yeah, it's definitely no. a it's a muted, toned down, minimalistic color palette, which works well for the film. Lighting as well is as I was reading up on this, it uses more fluorescence, which is usually in terms of cinematics a big no-no. But if you're presenting a realistic film, that works perfectly because it creates a more flat image and a flat lighting spectrum which is fine and if it works for the film then it's perfect for the film that's great but what I want to talk about and it's what's going to lead into our pointless research for this week and this week's pointless research is a little more diluted into a bigger section but I wanted to talk about how the farewell is a masterclass in framing and specific framing making a film look great without having to spend millions of dollars on making it look great and it's all done through framing so one of the big things i wanted to talk about is specifically you notice in this film there's a lot of the shots are more akin to landscape shots than they are to two shots or one shots, mid shots or anything like that. What's a two shot? A two shot is a shot with two people in it. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I was expecting that to be a lot more complicated. No, well, it's it's a shot with two people in it. Two shot OTS, which is an over the shoulder where you get a shot of shoulder and then a person. Mm-hmm. A lot of these shots are more akin to landscape shots, and this is specifically because the DP and the director, Lulu Wang, and Anna Franquesa Solano decided to go with a more 
landscape style shooting method for family shots because there are 13 family members so you have to fit in all of them as easily as possible and that's done best through a wide lens it works in this film's favor because the film's landscape is about the family we spend a majority of the time in this film in apartment blocks or just outside apartment blocks or in buildings so we don't get much landscape so the point of this film is the pure subject matter becomes the landscape mm, mm-hmm. but in terms of a pointless research to facilitate the expansive size of the family a wide lens was regularly used to frame every character as much as possible however in an interview with the dp director of photography or sometimes referred to as dop The characters were also framed in static ways in order to make it seem like they were almost staged, as each character beyond the matriarch of the family, Nai-Nai, was performing for her through their secret that they were keeping from her. So in a lot of it, you don't actually have many dynamic shots in which you have following shots of people moving. They're shot in static ways, so a lot of the time the camera is placed on a tripod or barely moved. Yeah. Or minimally used. They use dolly shots every so often, but it's quite minute and quite rarely used, and you never really get camera shake in this film, which is used very well for this film's subject matter. The use of static positions was also used to emulate the feeling of claustrophobia and the feeling of being trapped. And this is according to the DOP, but also it does lend to that feeling of coziness and comfort within a family dynamic, which you talked about more primarily. Yeah. But I come from a large family, so <laughs> I think I see less chaos and yeah, more just that's fair. comfort but in it. <laughs> these shots specifically, so we've got the wider shots where we're looking out, we're looking in at the family, sitting at the dinner table and things like that. The shots that they used to cut in are over-the-shoulder shots as well, but they're more, they're over two shoulders. And this is to provide this sense that you're actually in a you know, almost shoulder-to-shoulder seating arrangement in the family. And it helps lend to this claustrophobic or tight, cosy feeling of the film. So everything in the foreground continues to move or interact with the world while we look at the focus, which is in the background or the main section of the framing. More so with what you said with the big family chaos, actually, that's perfect that you say that, but... The framing was also intended to allow for family dynamics to play out simultaneously and present the image of organized chaos. And in that sense that there is stuff always going on in the foreground and always stuff going on in the background. No matter where the focus is in this film, there are things going on either in the foreground or background of the frame. And this is more a technical aspect, but despite the goal of facilitating a wide frame, anamorphic lenses were not used over spherical as both Lulu Wang and Anna Franquesa Solano wanted to facilitate the wide frame without concern over width distortion. So, do you need me to explain anamorphic and spherical? Because I heard a little bit of concern. (laughs) You heard my little uh, lip smack of confusion there? (laughs) Yes, please. Please explain. So, anamorphic is a type of lens that has a more ovular aperture. Like a fisheye? No. <laughs> no? Oh, no, okay. no, not at all. Uh, <laughs> how am I going to explain this, actually? I can explain this more properly. So, a lot of films are shot with spherical. If you look into a lens without any lens caps on, 
you will see a little circle inside it, which mm-hmm. is known as the uh, aperture. This can oh yeah. This can increase and decrease in size depending on the user's preference and spe- more specifically how much light they want to enter the lens and into the uh, sensor of the camera. So the most prominent one is a spherical, which is, it looks like a circle. So that aperture hole looks like a circle. Anamorphic is ovular, so it looks more like an oval, a vertical oval. So how this looks on the sensor is more squashed, but once it is converted to a frame, it becomes longer. So in films that use anamorphic lenses, you actually see that they have a much wider frame and use a different set of framing rules, which I'll talk about later when we actually talk about a film that uses anamorphic lenses. But, cool, okay. But the most, just as a cheeky little cheat for people who don't know the specifics between anamorphic and spherical, if you look for lens flare, an anamorphic lens will have ovular lens flare, whereas a spherical will have, if you can guess, circular. Circle. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I don't know why I was so scared of getting that wrong. Yeah, so it'll have circular lens flare and bokeh, as will anamorphic, which will have ovular lens flare and bokeh. However, the drawback to anamorphic, anamorphic looks incredibly nice and it has a more cinematic style to it. However, it also does have the risk of a width distortion issue where the image becomes more distorted the wider it gets. And this is something that Lulu Wang didn't want for her film, so that's why they decided not to use it. But it is also more prominently used for wider films, hence why it was considered. Right, okay. However, we'll move on slightly to, like we were talking about with the small spaces used for this film, the limited space of the Chinese apartments made wider capabilities more detrimental than beneficial, hence why more so another detriment to using anamorphic and why they went with spherical, so they could actually use the wider lens more in a smaller space if they used spherical, as opposed to anamorphic. Right, okay. Yeah. But then the part that I find most interesting, because of the budget, three million, as you remember, the film was shot without the intention of getting coverage. So in filmmaking, coverage is a term used when you film multiple shots at different angles to be put together in editing to make the best possible outcome. Coverage basically means that of every kind of shot that we want, either one person talking to another person You want to get as many angles of that person talking as possible, so that the editor has plenty to work with. However, this film didn't do that because it had such a small budget for the film that it was trying to make. They shot with the intention of the edit, so many of the shots are specifically framed as the best possible framing for each section. Yeah, because this film was only shot over like 24 days, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. So as a result, it had a shorter filming schedule but then also as a result as a further result pretty much what was filmed became what was put into the film and the scenes may have been cut but ultimately everything that was shot a different angle wasn't shot for it and they didn't want to shoot with multiple frames or angles in mind they sh- the total number of shots was more sparse than that but that's my kind of pointless research encapsulated as an overarching theme to some more specific parts into framing 
So, I'm so excited when I get a cinematography lesson <laughs> in these podcasts. Well, you're about to get a little bit more of it. But, um, okay, yes. Monique, do you know what the rule of thirds is? Sort of, from, like, a photography class I did in year 10. Okay, so what's the rule of thirds to you? So, on a... Well, in photography, you've got sort of a nine-square grid... And the rule of thirds is usually that whatever the focus of your capture is only fits into three of those. So, for instance, if you're doing a landscape, you'd have the foreground in the bottom three, you'd have the midground in the middle three, and you'd have your horizon in the top three. So it's sort of that keeping things within a specific section of the frame. Yep, that's exactly it. So the rule of thirds is is on a basis of nine squares or nine frames all put together in a grid which indicate a set of three spaces both horizontal and vertical. Pretty much exactly what you said. The farewell uses this perfectly since it has a sense of static, well since it's working with a sense of static shots and static framing it never has to worry about getting things out of the rule of thirds. So it uses the rule of thirds perfectly to its betterment, in which things in the foreground either remain on two sides of the thirds, and most of the focus will lie within the middle third or a focusable midsection. And as a result, this film holds the audience's gaze throughout. It does feel incredibly balanced, I suppose would be the way that I put it, is watching this film, it's not something that I realised until you started speaking about it, but in a lot of, say, action movies, you get a quite unbalanced, off-kilter feel to some of the shots that they do. Say, the protagonist is, like, running round a building and the camera follows him and you almost feel like you're being, like, tilted with camera you yeah no you don't get this this film is very balanced it's almost calming in a way Yeah, no this film maintains a perfect sense of framing and as a result it remains captivating throughout it just from a cinematic perspective but then also from an attention grabbing you always know where the focus is because it's on one of these parts and then you can draw your eye to something else which will provide a nice little bit of depth to the world but also the focus is always clearly visible and you're not going to be searching for it in the next cut. Another little thing is negative space. So negative space, if you don't know, which I assume you do. Yes. Cool. I I won't question you on that. So (laughs) negative space uh, basically is the space outside the focus and the film uses negative space in an incredibly beautiful way in that it is used to either make the world feel bigger and the character smaller, or the family feel more chaotic in an organized way, like they said. Mm -hmm. But there is very little negative space in family scenes with large amounts of negative space in solo scenes, and it helps lend to this feeling of isolation, especially with Billy, where she was pulled out of her extended family quite early on in her life. Yeah. So she feels this stronger detachment, and as a result, in the film, she is seen more prominently with negative space. Until a turning point in the film where she goes along with the lie and is more integrated within the family. And as a result, there is less and less negative space 
thrown in. And as a result, it is very easy to identify the mood and emotion of Billy without having to hear her say how she's feeling. And yeah. in the points where she does actually talk about how she's feeling, it's so much more poignant and a little more heavy hitting because we've had that lead up. But with that said, that's pretty much most of what I have to say about framing. If you want to teach classes on framing or teach people about how to frame a cinematic film, I'd point you towards The Farewell because they have such a clear by the book way of delivering it that it ends up being perfect for the film. And when I say by the book, I don't mean it just follows the rules. No, I mean it it knows it knows the rules perfectly and it displays that knowledge in such a clear and insightful way that it's almost a handbook on how to frame things correctly. It's this is such a good movie. <laughs> I don't think either of us will feel like we've said it enough, but this is such a good movie. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the framing is definitely a really perfect part of it, and it doesn't fit into any other part of what I was explaining or what I've talked about so far, but there is one scene specifically that I love so much just because of its cinematic brilliance, and it's as a pretense to for the context. Billy is talking to her mother while looking for the bride-to-be's earring and she talks about Yai-Yai, her grandfather who passed away of lung cancer a few years back when she was still very young but no one told her and so for Billy it felt as if Yai-Yai had just disappeared from her life mm -hmm. and as a result she felt like a she feels like a part of her life is just disappeared and she never got to see it again and never got closure for it and as a result, it sat with her for forever. Well, up until this point in her life, and she couldn't really move on from it because she just lost this person in her life and she wasn't given warning and she was never ready for it. And it's this incredibly raw scene of just pure, pure honesty and vulnerability from Billy. But then it leads on to this scene. Well, we can talk more about that scene specifically at a different point, but... It leads on to the scene where Billy is asleep and she's dreaming of Yai-Yai and he's sitting at the windowsill smoking and then it match cuts to that same window with the pink neon but the smoke is still there and it lends to this incredibly powerful symbolism that family will always be with you and that even if they're gone, they're not fully gone because they will live forever in our memories and that is inescapably beautiful I think and it's this point in the film that I always feel like I watch and I don't think about it too much because if I think about it too much it's gonna hurt oh gosh this film says so much in between the lines I could watch this film over yeah. and over and still probably miss things yeah. it's just so packed with silent stories as well as mm. the main story that's going on. Yeah, and I think with the last few minutes that we've got, I think it might be good to talk just very in-depth about Billy as a character, because Billy, played by Aquafina, does an incredible job of leaning us into a culture that, for most people who watched it, because this film actually is classified as an American comedy drama. What? Yeah, well, Lulu Wang is an American. Well, yeah, I and, understand that. And, like, I get the classification stuff, and classification can be stupid and all that shit, 
but for most people who watched it, I don't think the the culture comes across as a culture shock because no. we have Billy who who leans us into the world because she's not used to it, not to the same level that we are, but she still has that detachment from it that as she leans into it more, we can lean into it more. And I wanted to talk more about that because it's really, really wonderful character writing because she doesn't come across as this fish out of water. She doesn't come across as an individual who is completely out of her depth in China and she's she feels like just a complete foreigner. What I find most compelling about her character is that she, in a refreshing change to a character, returns to her family in another country. She doesn't come across as an outsider she comes across as almost a point in a divide where she doesn't know who she is and coming here has made it all the more difficult to recognize where she fits and i find that really compelling as a story point because as a character that is so ridiculously hard to write and sure it makes it just that little bit easier because lulu wang has probably and almost certainly lived that life experience yeah, yeah has experienced it but also it's just incredible because billy comes across as a character who knows this world but has been out of it for so long that she doesn't feel like she's at home with it but she also integrates into it seamlessly as well so she's experienced enough with it that it's not like she's afraid that she's going to get lost and be trapped in some part of china if she doesn't do everything right, she knows exactly how to get where she needs to go, and she knows who she needs to speak to to get things done. And she can speak Chinese to a genuinely very good degree, but she feels like it's not good enough. But on, on in the contrasting part to it, all she has of China is her memory of it, and the fact that it's no longer the same as how she remembers makes her feel like an outsider. Mm-hmm. And I find that just as a main character, it's it's what you want to see. You, it, it's a complicated character who doesn't come across as an idiot. She's given the freedom to be goofy and herself when she feels comfortable to feel like that. And she's also capable of feeling vulnerable or or unsettled when she does, and openly so. She doesn't have to pretend to be anyone other than who she is for the most part. But then also she's a human enough character that she's willing to lie about things that mean so much to her, the fact that she didn't get into the fellowship and all that stuff. It, that means so much to her, but she just doesn't tell her family because she doesn't want to bother them and she doesn't. she's nervous of the response that she'll get because she's always worried that she's not doing enough to repay her parents for all that they've done for her because they make it clear in this film and it's made very clear in this film. Both of her parents make huge sacrifices to give Billy a better life. Yeah. And she wants to Even, repay Even, you know, just moving the country itself yeah. was a sacrifice. Oh, absolutely. And they don't shy away from character depth in this movie. Yeah. Not just with Billy. I know that we're speaking about her specifically, but... Yeah. Every character in this film, and there are a lot of them, as you said before, there are <laughs> 13, quite a few yeah. family members, 13, yeah. have at least one moment, it may be small, but they all have at least one moment where you can see that there is much more depth to them. No character is a throwaway character, no, I suppose. Not really. 
even the soon-to-be wife of the cousin, you know, yeah. the who is Japanese in this movie and doesn't actually understand anything that anybody yeah. else is saying. And which I would say is she's given a really good out or excuse to not be quite as participant in the family or in the world because she doesn't speak the language. She doesn't know what's going on. Her Yeah, but at their wedding event speak, yeah. he doesn't speak Japanese. No, he doesn't he does speak Japanese, but he's also shy, like they say. Oh. Okay, yeah. yes. Sorry, I was just for a second, I was like, wait, but he was translating for no, her. He does speak and Japanese, it's yeah. actually the scene I was about to bring up no, is no. when they're at their reception, he, the husband, very recently made husband, yeah. is translating for her as she says her thank yous to everybody who is at, yeah, at the wedding ceremony. And it, so like I said, nobody is a throwaway character. Yes, yeah. she cannot speak the same language as everybody else but that doesn't mean that the movie forgets about her and leaves her as this unspoken character who is just there to facilitate the plot she still shows that she's very appreciative like that she may not understand everybody and she may not understand that what they're saying but she's still very appreciative that everybody's attending her wedding and that there's you know this camaraderie and family yeah absolutely. aspect and dynamic and i do of course really love that this family does that of course it is based on i should stop saying of course it is based on a true story (laughs) yeah but they have depth to the characters they are based on real people of course my gosh But the thing is, enough time is given to each of the characters where they actually feel, does their due Due diligence diligence with each character so that they don't feel like two-dimensional characters to the point where it it provides that respect that they are real characters because they have enough time on screen and they're also given enough depth that they still feel like living, breathing people. And And this movie is quite short by modern standards. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's only an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, thereabouts. Yet, you still get to see each of these characters in depth, and it never feels rushed. The pacing of this movie is done really, really well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we can't sing its praises enough. I don't think there are really any real criticisms that we can provide, really, in terms of the story. It's based on a real story, so you can kind of get away with that, but I think Lulu Wang really elevates the story to a higher level because she's taken so much more time to provide a deeper level of context and to give everyone a certain amount of screen time so that they feel real and in-depth and also provides them with a unbiasedness that can only be provided from a family member Mm-hmm. So that even characters who act a certain way always have reasons for acting that way. Like, I think the one character who is the most kind of stubborn in their beliefs is is the mother. Yeah. But you can also understand that because we were talking about it and she comes across as resentful of her culture in in these minute little ways and she doesn't allow herself to be emotional but then there are these really wonderful scenes with her and little Nai Nai where she has a conversation with her at the wedding reception and 
she clearly shows that she cares by asking questions and talking to her about her own about little Nine Eyes' life and you know what are you going to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? Nine Eyes gone. And then the final scene, which is heart wrenching and beautiful, where they go back to America and take a taxi back to the airport, and she allows herself to just cry this mm. one time and not you know not afraid to do it in front of her daughter who has been openly open with her emotions and very upset through yeah. a lot of the film whenever the, there is a mother-daughter scene yeah and the mother has also like openly confronted those moments where she's like i if i was you know openly crying like you people would complain but she takes that moment to allow herself to be sad yeah and ultimately how could you not be sad in that scene it's just fucking heart-wrenching Iconically, I think one of the last so notes. So fucking sad. One of the last notes that yeah, I did. Yeah, and we should ultimately wrap up. So yeah. The last ten minutes of this film are the only times in this film where I did truly get emotional. Yeah. And that scene where they are taking the taxi back, and you get the slow pan through the back window of yeah. them waving goodbye to Nine Eye, and not knowing, in fact, being almost certain that they will not see her again. And of yeah. course, she doesn't know that this is a final farewell, but everybody mm. else does. And it genuinely yeah. is a... If I was, I, I will admit, if I was in a more fragile place, I would have bawled my eyes out watching I that. only didn't because it's... I was watching with you and taking notes. If it's... I had have been yeah. completely immersed in it's the viewing so experience sad. and not sort of making half-hearted jokes to keep myself... Yeah. Stable, I would have <laughs> lost it. Yeah, because just, it just is the such shot a of, yeah. The grandmother getting scene. smaller and smaller in the background, waving. And she's waving. And she's sad because her because Billy is leaving and her family is leaving back to America. And it's it's so masterfully done that it's just so sad. But with mm. all that said, we should wrap up. And do you have any final thoughts on this film before we close? for the in-depth discussion. The last couple credits of the movie is what actually made me cry. Oh, and right. I do want to let everybody know... We actually got through most of the film without spoiling it. We did! What the heck? It's pretty <laughs> unusual for us. I know! Nai lived a lot longer than her four months that was yeah, predicted I think she, she's still alive to this day. Is she? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because she I was checked. alive while they were filming it in 2019. Because yeah. they were discussing the filming of the One of the, of the most movie commonly asked questions. Yep, she's still alive. <laughs> oh my gosh. <sighs> yeah, to this day, 2021, Nine is still alive. We're I on... can't believe I didn't blurt that out at the start. It was <laughs> like on one Nine of those Watch. things. <laughs> the rest of these podcasts will be dedicated to a little bit at the end where we check, <laughs> we check in on Nine and see if she's Here are our okay. socials. Nine <laughs> is okay. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> no, but with with all that said, I think it's a perfect time to wrap that up with a nice happy ending, knowing that Nai is okay and we can move on with our lives and on to the next film. So, if you didn't get the old hint, it was from the prestige to the farewell. It was another film where secrets are kept from the ones our protagonists love. But can we truly believe that it's to save them the pain of the truth? Hopefully. You had a few guesses. Hopefully, maybe some of you figured it out. If you did, good for you. If you didn't, tough shit. Um, <laughs> ne maybe next time. Prove me wrong. 
I think none of you will get it, but no, um, there we go. Just some, some people will be commenting out of spite now. But Heck yeah, get that spite engagement. <laughs> yeah, but for our new hint for the uh, movie that we will be reviewing next week, it is another film where a young daughter wishes to separate herself from her family and her dreams are always in question, while their families are brought together with one big lie. So, sounds on paper quite similar to The Farewell. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It's for you As to usual, out. we never do the same genre. No, it could be wildly different. So, we're not really doing another slice of life. I mean... Not really. No, not no. really. Don't give them too many hints. <laughs> yeah, but... I'm sorry, I just really want comment, people to get comment it. Comment in the YouTube comments if you'd like to. Comment on our socials, which are, for those of you who don't know, at if you want to speak to us on Twitter, it is at Nexatai if you want to speak to Monique. And if you want to speak to me, I am at Greymouse Inc. If you want to reach out to me on Instagram, however, where I post some of my projects and progress uh, pictures of my projects that I actually work on if you want to check those out or speak to me because I'm happy to chat with anyone who wants to talk uh, I am at will underscore mortlock on Instagram and I'm actually on Instagram at nexatai again oh excellent I know isn't that exciting I well, made myself a public if you'd like Instagram to, if you'd like to reach out to her you can do so there but with all that said I guess we will see you next week see you then <laughs>